0: Hey everybody, my name is Alex, and this is Lunchbox Radio. Now, before we get started proper, I wanted to remind you guys to go listen to the episode, to the previous Thursday episode and the previous Sunday episode. The previous Sunday episode is a bit of an odd one, but it's all about my feelings about how things become franchises and ways things become franchises. Um, Pretending to anime, but pertaining more just to entertainment, but definitely go check that out. Um, You can also go check out the previous third day edition of the podcast, which is all about a little show over on High Dive called Vermil in Gold that I found really surprising. You may not, but I did. Um, And on that note, let's dive into what we're talking about today. A tiny show you may have heard of from this previous season, literally just had its season finale this week. And that show is Chainsaw Man. Now, if you're not familiar with Chainsaw Man, first off, um, how did you find this podcast? Who are you? You are you are a mystical unicorn, and I want to know you. But moreover, if you're not familiar with Chainsaw Man, it is a serialized manga in Weekly Shonen Jump. It's still currently running by um, a manga author who is a who seems to be a lovely man, but has some very peculiar thoughts and actions in his life. But also. And I'll come back to this in a minute. Key point, he's around my age. That is to say that he's an elder millennial. Um, And that manga author is, of course, Tatsuki Fujimoto. Um, And we'll get to him and how his worldview affects this in a second. But before we get to that, I want to talk about why Chainsaw Man... Hits such a chord with people and is so... Feels so different in its execution than most other things in its ilk. Most of the other heavy hitters in the, like... I'm going to call it dude bro, shonen bro category. And I think that comes down to a couple factors. Um... The first factor, I think, is all the shounen that we've seen up until this point has been kind of riffing off of the same stuff and itself endlessly. Even if you look at something like Hunter x Hunter, which I love. I think I did an episode on Hunter x Hunter that you can go check out in the feed in whatever you using to to me right now. But more or less... like. The form is played with, the form is stretched and contra- and compressed, but it is, it is the form in many ways. And kind of the shining moment of both of Hunter x Hunter is that it really plays with the form and really gets complicated. And by the time we're at where we are currently in the Hunter x Hunter story, the primary character that you've been following up until that, this point is just not in the show anymore. And they just, like, did a whole pivot where they're like, this show literally can't be about this character anymore. We might get back to that later, but for reasons, he's going to go over here now. And these two main characters are going to go over here now. And we're going to focus on this character. You remember this guy? We're going to focus on him. And that's really interesting. But the thing about... Shonen, protagonist shonen storylines, that they all, there's this like, kind of hopeful feeling, even from the very beginning when maybe this, when maybe like a character like Naruto is downtrodden, he is, he like, he is ostracized from the rest of his community and all of this stuff. You still, like, you still recognize him as, like, a hero, as having something of worth, as having something, like, he, he's portrayed as poor, but, like, lovably poor. Like, it's, like, the, the world, like, he's poor, but that means that, like, he's got expired milk in his fridge. He still has an apartment he lives in for that entire show. Like, that man owns property. <laughs> and not just his house by the time he's Okage. Like, he had an apartment he just lives in. They show it many times in Naruto. Like, But fast enough where you're like, wait, what? With that, this small child's apartment in which he lives? This is strange. But the thing about our main character in Chainsaw Man, Denji, is that he's coming from a place of nothing. He's coming from a place of real poverty, of real... Like, he is alive just cause. There is no real drive in his life other than survival. And like, he's, he's got a pet chainsaw dog and he shares like slices of bread with him. And that's all they eat some days. He's sold a testicle. He has he doesn't have like anime problems. He doesn't have like my parents are dead. He has my pa- my dad died. My mom is go- my mom is dead. My dad died, left me with a mountain of debt that I will never pay back, and now I'm essentially a, like a debtor slave to the yakuza. He has real fucking problems, and he he had not born into a world where he is the secret protagonist. Just it, like in the moment when you meet him, he's born into a world where he is, by default, just a garbage person, and he treats and he he treats himself like that, and just like his aspirations throughout the show are small in a way that are not small for people who have a ray of hope in their lives. By the end of episode one of something like Naruto, or even something like Hunter x Hunter, or any of the shonen you can kind of name, other than Chainsaw Man, you know that like, they have big dreams, like the dream, their dreams are astronomically large. But by the end of the first season, ...of Chainsaw Man... ...Denji's aspirations aren't that big. It, it, they're not, like, monumental. He doesn't want to be the president. He doesn't want to be, like, you know, the savior of the world. He's not going to be... ...in the guise of something like My Hero Academia... ...to be a little bit more modern with my shonen choices... ...he's not going to be the greatest hero, the number one hero... He's just kind of living. He's just kind of propelling himself forward and, like, trying to move, move himself up the next rung of quality of life. And one of the things that lots of media tells you is that you need to aspire to these huge, monumental, like, dreams and goals. And you see this in both heroes and villains. So um, a perfect example of a villain having like a monumental goal to say act on and complete is Magneto from X-Men. If you look at Magneto, like he's... Magneto is right. (laughs) Magneto is very right on many levels. Like he sees himself and people like him being persecuted for something they can't control. And so his big goal is not to like end the world, to destroy shit. His big goal is to create, and eventually he does, create a city, create a nation, and just fuck off to that nation. And like, it's, that is a huge thing to do. It is not a thing that many people who are reading that comic book for the, like, racism, for, like, the not-so-subtle racism bad connotations of it, or the not-so-subtle ableism sucks connotations of it, are capable of doing. If I wanted to make a nation for people with disabilities, because I am a person with disabilities, that's psychotic. I wouldn't be able to accomplish that. But if I wanted to live a little bit better, if I wanted to maybe, like, not have so much debt, not not this, not that, like Denji does, it's accomplishable. But what the story in Chainsaw Man is doing there is it's playing with your expectations because you as a viewer are used to, you know, the main character wanting to be the Wizard King, the main character wanting to... Be the best in the world. The main character inevitably becoming the best in the world. The the main character becoming the danger, so so to speak. And Denji does get there. He does get to be the danger, but <laughs> it, he doesn't like. It's not because it's not because he aspires to do it. It's because he wants to protect the things that he's gained and will lose if he's not. If he's not vigilant about it. And it. The show makes. Very clear of being like. If you are not useful. You will be disposed of. And that means killed, And that means. Your cushy. Like. The quote unquote cushy life. That Denji has now. Will go away. <laughs> because he will be dead. But. Like I said. We as a viewer are used to. The person wanting to be the wizard king. The person wanting to be the. Tokage, this, that, and the other thing. In kind of a very similar way to... Yusuke Yurameshi at the beginning of Yu Yu Hakusho. Denji doesn't... He kind of doesn't have a fucking goal. He just... He's living his life. And then... Circumstances take him to... Basically being resurrected as Chainsaw Man. And he... And that gives him the ability to, like... Step up his life into a quality of life... That we all kind of think of as basic. As that's the bar. That's the lowest bar. Like, toast on bread. (laughs) Like, jam on toast. A bath. Of, like, four walls and a roof. (laughs) Like... The way that Denji, um, the way that Denji and Aki and Power live is, like, in a cramped little apartment with three people. It's not, it's not luxury. It's not ideal. But what the show does, first by showing you how fucked up Denji, how fucked up a life Denji comes from. Second by showing you, like how feral fucking power is. And also by showing you what it, Aki's dealing with is that it makes that like that struggle. It does like a, it like runs you forward and then gives you twenty twenty hindsight back on that as those characters, because you realize what you're seeing is not the bad old days. It's the good old days. It's, it's when you lived in an apartment with, with a bunch of idiots and, like, what... It's, it's when you were in college with a bunch of... Or art school, in my case, with a bunch of idiots and one of those idiots went and... I'm not going to say that that's, that. that's very incriminating. Um, but, like, the thing, the thing that's not incriminating is on the way to and from doing that one thing, this idiot in particular, who would later become my roommate, just stole a working traffic barrel, like one of the ones with the like the headlights on top of it, and I got out of the shower, came downstairs in my apartment, and there it was in the corner, like it has always been there. And one level, that's a disaster, like that's a, that's fucked up. But on another level, it's kind of like the beautiful, fun shit that happens that you think of a disaster and like you kind of like facepalm in the moment but looking back on it it's like oh no that was pretty good (laughs) this is this is pretty good this is this is a vibe this is like a like Technicolor memory vibe and that's what the entirety of the like home life stuff that Denji aspires to protect feels like and if i had to guess if i had to imagine it based on what i know about fire Punch, his previous work and what i know about his other stuff is that so much of media still that it's so much of anime still is directed and created purely because of the kind of of the kind of art it is by people who remember the good old days? Who remember how good it was? How, or and and still live in that kind of like good pocket. Like we're talking Gen X, we're talking baby boomers, we're talking the greatest generation, we're talking people who are on who generation who are on their way out, not in their prime or on their way in, like Gen Z, millennials, alpha, and. As a millennial creator, and you see this in the creator of um, Jujutsu Kaisen as well, in mostly the way he treats his characters and in the like scenarios he sets up, there are characters in Jujutsu Kaisen who are basically fucking hopeless. Like they are, they are the monster because they have to be the monster because there's no other way for them to survive. In that's in that story and in this story. You see, kind of the millennial view of things, and if you are younger than millennial or you're older than millennial, listen to this as an elder millennial. Let me tell you, it's pretty fucking hopeless all the time. We're pretty fucking depressed constantly. Like, there's a reason that that sad egg, Gudetama, won the um, Sanrio character design contest that year and became like a sensation. It's because of us. Like, we all feel like that sad egg. A lot. Not 24-7, but... For a lot of the time. And this is a show that, from its, like, base level, reflects that. It doesn't reflect this, like, triumphant feeling. Like, the stuff Denji is doing, the stuff the main character do isn't triumphant, it's survivalist, it's it's people adapting to the world around them. You see that um probably most probably most significantly actually, interestingly, from a character that people love to hate. And I understand why, but they they really shouldn't, in Coben. So in one of the arcs in um in the second arc in Chainsaw, in the Chainsaw Man, in the first season, they introduce Kobeni, and she's this like this kind of worrywart, fucked up, like twenty-something girl who's got a lot of anxiety, and seems to use a kitchen knife to murder things. But by the time you're done with the show, you have a totally different view of Kobeni. She's not... Yes, she's a nervous wreck. Yes, she's like a ball of anxiety who's just trying to stay the fuck alive. But because of that, she has this kind of... incredible... aptitude for devil hunting because she's not looking at it like I'm going to be the hero. She's looking at at it as, as... that thing needs to die or else that person will die and that person will help keep me alive until fucking bonus day and that's a real millennial thought <laughs> that is painfully real <laughs> and there's a great scene in um the, in the in the very early part of in early in the finale episode by the way spoilers for this for the whole first season you can Go watch it all now, it's up. I don't think it's dubbed, but it's up subtitled on Herd you can go find it. Um There's a scene where like um Aki is fighting this girl and Aki is fighting against this girl who is one of the main villains of the of the season. And there's a moment when he stops and says, Don't kill her and you realize Cobra has appeared with a knife, at this girl's throat. And Aki, mostly it seems out of curiosity, just looks at Cobra and he's like, why haven't you left this job yet? And she's just like, tr- with like trembling voice, and like, with like a nervous voice, like, I guess, like yearly bonuses are coming up soon, so I figured I'd just stick around and get my bonus. And, like, but the other part of it is that you've, you find out earlier in the story after, you, you find out after um, the Eternity Devil arc that Kobeni was given a choice. Because she had an older brother who, she had older siblings who straight up her parents seemed to just love more because they're assholes and she was given the story on a stick. And basically her choices were and stop me if this sounds familiar millennial listeners <laughs> become a sex worker of some kind or become a public or become a public service uh, um public service devil hunter. <laughs> or basically become a start an OnlyFans or go into the public sector. <laughs> Were her choices, and she picked the thing that means she doesn't have to be a sex worker. But Kobeni's really only one, like, aspect of this. And the reason why I'm talking about this is because I think lots of people will like go through the entire show and really look at this. But in the same way that I and. I think you can still find my episode about, um, about Yuri on Ice, where I talk about straight up, like, not the gayness of the show, not the show itself, but, like, the way the show portrays being an Olympic athlete and, like, the lifestyle that Olymp- that Olympic-class athletes actually live. And in the same way... This Chainsaw Man portrayed life in almost a rotting world. In, in a world where it's so... Like, there's certainly still beauty in it because there will always be beauty in it. But in a world and in a society that is so weighed down with... The... Core problems at the hearts of, like, each big civic thing that there's, like, no way out. And so you have, what you get is a bunch of characters who are living in it constantly and, like, dealing with it. I'm not gonna, I know, I've read to the, what will probably be the end of the second, of the second season, I haven't read the second part of Chainsaw Man yet, but I've read to what will probably be the end of the second season. So I know how how this overall arc ends, but I'm not going to talk about that. But, suffice it to say, all of these characters are existing in this fucked up system somehow. You have Himeno, who... Ultimately, dies like the episode after she's introduced. Really, who she's the character who says like, "Your idealism doesn't matter." The ones who survive who who survive who have a chance of killing the gun devil, the like boogeyman that um, Makima gives um, Denji the carrot of killing. The ones who might be able to do it are the ones who are insane, are the ones who are, who are more than a little crazy. But what you ultimately end up seeing is Himeno has tried her best to remain the kind of crazy that she's always probably always been. But along the way, she developed feelings for and attachments to her partner Aki. Despite her best judgment, she cared for him. And you see little hints of that that are then, like, just straight up explains to the audience, like, this, this is what this was, you dumbass. If you, did, if you didn't get it that time, here's, here it is in plain English or plain Japanese in the form of a letter that Aki reads that, like, makes him realize, like, oh, Himino was serious about us leaving. Like, she, that wasn't a cute Himino joke. That was a serious thing. That was her attempting to, like, Get me to say yes. And the reason Himino ultimately dies is she gives everything for Aki to survive. For Aki and Denji to survive. For For her... Fr- she gives everything for her friends in a way that in many shonen anime is rewarded. In... In the case of a character like Power, Power and Denji become, like, pretty fast friends pretty immediately. And, and, like, the most, like, weird, fucked up, hilarious, like, we used to be assholes to each other, but we spent enough time in the same room that now we just. We, 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 not only were we cool, we real cool. And. But Power. Maybe doesn't act in Denji's, doesn't act against Denji's best interest, but she never really acts for his best interest. She mostly just knows that he'll be fine, or probably hopes that he'll be fine, and doesn't do anything to help. She only ever is a chaos gremlin thrown in the mix, and it's funny and it's cute and it's weird but ultimately by the time I forget what episode the um by episode probably by episode 4 probably episode 5 actually um you you realize that Denji and that both Denji and um power are not they're not real mature they're like children and power it's because she doesn't she realistically does not give a fuck she is a different thing she is what they call a fiend which is a devil who has possessed the body of a dead person so she is like a a living corpse basically that is not human denji has only ever had to care about survival. So he doesn't... He doesn't really understand what it is to care about another person. So, like... Or, or to give a shit in that way, because it it had been imperative that he can't give a shit that way. And so they function, like, when Himino dies in episode in 5, I think it is, they function essentially like um like children who don't know they're at a funeral and what that means is actually um, Himeno died I think in episode 8 yeah in episode 8 I think though. So. but um what that means is they don't know how to process their feelings and Denji really doesn't know how to process their feelings. So they just kind of, like, all left in the hall and they fuck around with the vending machine and, like, they act like kids at a funeral, essentially. They don't know what it means that grandma's gone. But in that, you also see kind of the, like, millennial malaise, the like, what people see as the millennial laziness, as the millennial accuracy, in that people don't realize exactly how much a your typical millennial has seen of the world that is not great i mean if you stop and think about it somebody my age has been alive for the war on terror that that happened and before that the um the the 9/11 the crumbling of society around them as they grew up the truth that people my age will not have it as good as the as our parents when they were, when they were our age or when we become their age we will be dealing with the like totality of certain things in a way that people older than us will not deal with and people younger than us will also deal with it in a worse way and when you're staring that down like you've got two choices go crazy or go do the dishes (laughs) and oftentimes it's just like go do the dishes listen to some sat listen to some emo shit and like move on with your day (laughs) like you you can't In many ways, for young people to face the totality of any given tragedy of the moment, it would be like staring Cthulhu in the face. You would go mad. And, like, in moments, lots of people my age get real pissed and real, and they get real fucked up on their own supply because they're pissed about the world, not necessarily pissed at whatever's happening in front of them. I know I certainly do that. And what you see Denji doing in Chainsaw Man is really like he can't be concerned with the with the tragedies that befall him or even that he causes Two other characters, yes, the bad guys, Event you eventually find out, but two other characters, he's just trying to live, man. And that's, that's a really interesting place to like write a story functionally from. The other thing that I think that makes Chainsaw Man so appealing to people is that it borrows just enough horror elements that it... that it ticks the box without going full-on horror, in most cases. And it emulates horror in ways that, like, horror does, not that, like, it thinks horror, that it would feel like would be a horror element. This is true also of, once again, Jujutsu Kaisen, written from an author who is around the same age. Surprise, surprise. You know, Jujutsu Kaisen is, like, it is full-on waist deep in the horror pool in many ways but it knows how to like mess with that so you can still watch it not between your fingers same thing with Chainsaw Man and the last thing that I think Chainsaw Man does really well and I think the reason why people responded it to it so much is that it Borrows from movies and TV extensively, and there's "I mean, we're all used to like JoJo's references and shit like that, but, and we're all used to referencing other anime and anime we're watching that has happened for decades at this point, and we know that like the, you're pretty aware of this of certain things that." Otaku creators of otaku media grew up with. You can see it in somebody like um, Hideki Anno's work. You can see it in Trigger's work, absolutely. Um, but Taki Fujimoto is pulling from film, from actual film, from you know horror from the horror genre, from you know pulp, from pulp classics like Pulp Fiction. But also, if you, like, if you watch the finale, there's a really, really specific reference to the Never Knows Best scene from FLCL. So, like, he's kind of, if I had a guess, he's probably a pretty close to an industrial grade media consumption machine of expression I use for myself. Very often. In that he's watching tons of shit. And he just watches shit. Because he loves to. And he could watch shit while he draws or whatever. But. That. Studio Mappa. God saves their soul. I hope is not pushing themselves to the absolute limit. From what I understand. There are some labor issues with Studio Mappa already, but they're doing a lot next season and that's a lot. So whatever, man. Um, really like the, the whole opening of this show set to, um, Kickback, which you'll hear in the beginning is, Oh, I got to choose an ending theme and I'll get to that in a minute is really knocking it out of the park. With this, And part of the way they're doing that is the whole opening sequence is movie references. It is the character going to the movie. It is the bowling scene from The Big Lebowski. It is Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. It is Pulp Fiction. And to, like, somebody who doesn't know those movies, somebody who those aren't familiar to, you know, whatever... But it still works on the surface level. But somebody who is and who knows that's what Tatsuki Fujimoto is all about on some level, that that is an extra layer of appreciation. That is an extra layer of artistry and attention to detail. And that is really in this entire show. And that's the last thing I really want to talk about. Because it came out that there's a petition circulating among Japanese fans to have the first season of this show, Remade. To which I say, go fuck yourselves. Because what they managed to do with Chainsaw Man is really remarkable. The show looks beautiful. It feels beautiful. There are moments in which it stumbles. There are moments in which there is some slightly questionable use of CGI. There are moments in which ...characters slide off the side of their own model, their show-off model. There are moments in which it doesn't, it doesn't reach the thing it's trying to hit every time. But that's part of art. And I would rather watch the thing that is aiming for the moon and landing among the stars... Over something that's just like giving you what it knows it can do. And there are valid reasons to do both. I'm not saying one approach is better than the other. But I am saying that this could have been a very stock standard animated thing. They could have made this. It could have been fine. And they could have moved on. But they didn't. They they did, in their estimation, what we have come to expect from studios like Madhouse. They did, they went above and beyond. They did their damnedest and to make something beautiful, something expression, something full of expression, something like awesome. And they did it. And yes, there are some rough edges here and there. But by and large, it's a beautiful thing. And one of the most impressive things they did—I'm going to, to pick one of them—is every episode ends with a different, with different end credits. Every single time, for every single episode, there are twelve episodes. There's one opening. There's twelve endings, credit sequences, and scenes. And I encourage you to go find them all. If maybe you like gift one or missed one or liked one, whatever. But that's not something you do if you're phoning it in. Because uh, How should I put this? They They did something that was not a requirement in that moment. They did something that no one was ever expecting of them to do. They did They went beyond what we all ask for out of anime. What most people watching anime ask for, it, what the bar, what the standard bar is, is decent enough animation, decent enough voice work, a good end, a good opening theme, and a good ending theme. I know that sounds sad, but it's pretty true. Like most shows all of us like are not phenomenal because of necessarily the craft of it some of them look beautiful and we all got into anime because we are fans on some level of art but stack them all up together you know look at a hundred at a time and you'll see a lot of similarities you'll see some standout pieces you'll see some standout moments You'll see some scenes in some shows that are clearly like isekai moments of bliss. But your stock standard everyday show in a season is not something like Kill a Kill. It's not something like, you know, Full Metal Alchemist necessarily. It's something that looks a little bit more like my Hero Academia, something that looks a little bit more like the middle episodes of Naruto Shippuden or the middle episodes of Boruto. At this point, it's nothing. It's nothing technically to write home about. Every episode of this show has some animators going wild on some shit. In a way, that's not just like one scene. It's like all of it, all the time. They're trying to fire on all cylinders. And sometimes you miss. It happens. And that leads to a thing that is like... wholly... its own. And it leads to... And one of the... One of the things that I think we all love... I certainly love, but we all love about anime... is that like you get stories... The likes that you d- you don't see anywhere else. You can get stories that you see lots of other places, but you get stories and story treatments and visuals that you can't that you don't see anywhere else. Um, the and Chainsaw Man is an incredible example of that. Another incredible example of that is um, Jobless Reincarnation that is that thing, that story it's like largely attributed to be the first of what we think of in the anime community as your standard isekai and Mm. it feels so much different from like In Another World with My Fucking Smartphone because A, it did it first and B, it did it all the fucking way and the adaptation of it so far the second season has yet to be come out it's coming though from what I understand um that thing looks beautiful and it has it 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 stands apart from the rest of its season in that way and if I had to say there was a downside to the look and feel Chainsaw Man it's that and this is this is probably how this is probably what's ultimately responsible for the um the petition that's going around. It's the hype cycle took this thing. In a way that it doesn't often take stuff. In a way that it didn't even take bleach the Thousand Year Blood War. Which there was a lot of hype around before it premiered. But And I, I, don't, I don't think the hype cycle helped or hurt Chainsaw Man, ultimately. I think that Studio Mapper probably smartly just kind of kept putting their notes to Grindstone, making the show, putting the stuff out there when they had it to put out there, and they didn't concern themselves with, oh, people are saying this is going to be the best show ever. They concerned themselves with, we're going to make the thing we want to make, and we're going to make it as best we can, and you're going to deal with it either way. And that's... Generally the way stuff goes when it's going to go well is that they don't care about what you think, they're making what they wanna make. And you see that in the endings in the ending scene. In in the ending scenes. It's like they're making the shit they wanna make. They're like making these like cool animatic, you know, ending themes. They're very all very different many times very different than the tone of the show that just happened to you of the episode that just happened in front of your eyeballs and they're going for it now the last thing i want to talk about is the like amazing rug pull that this show does that studio mappa did to the audience because the audience clearly did not see this coming. Or they did, and not enough people truly understood what they were told. Is, so, if you haven't read the Chainsaw Man manga, the, one of the big, like, insane things that happens in it is there is a giant, and I mean giant, like, double page spread, lesbian orgy. <laughs> and gotta remember, this thing is published in Shonen Jump. So they basically did a lesbian orgy in a Shonen Jump magazine one one month. Which is wild. But what everybody and everybody was stunned and like that was the big question on everybody's brains is like, oh this thing's getting an adaptation. Of course it is. How are they going to deal with the lesbian orgy? Because it's big and it's got some story and Jesus. And then Mappa. Almost to like fuck with people I feel like. Just that this anime will edit. Will air uncensored. Now to most people they hear that. They're like oh we can see the titties. But what Mappa meant. What Mappa truly meant. Is you know that scene in the manga. Where they have what. Denji and Aki are in a competition to see who can make this man scream the most by just wailing on his wailing on his family jewel by just ramming him in the nuts with their sneakers. We're going to show you that. <laughs> and something that like people don't think about when they think about uncensored is this tons. There is Tons of things that are censored. And actually, um, one of the, um, a, a recent episode of the Anna and After Show kind of like made a side comment about this in the episode where, um, Makima goes to, goes to meet a Yakuza boss and has all of their loved ones' eyeballs in a bag. They show you inside the bag, they show you the pile of fucking. Unplugged eyeballs and what you need to understand what most people need to understand that's a risky shot in anime if you so a really great example of this um if you go look at um oh what's it called um the the prison. The prison anime where um they all have blood magic. Um there's a there's an anime that was adapted from a manga that um is about this kid who ends up in this prison where everybody's given blood magic powers. I forget what it's called, but it's unwatchable. I I watched all twelve I watched the whole season of it. It's unfucking watchable. Because in the manga they can like just like make it look like They can make it look like what it is because it's a manga. But on TV, there's a lot of, like, no-nos that you can't do in, um, on Japanese TV. Like, you can't show people smoking. So if you, so there's infamous episodes of Stardust Crusaders where there's just a big black fuzzy ball in front of Jojo because he's smoking a cigarette. Likewise, blood is a no-no, basically. So, to show so much gore and viscera and, uh, in this show, and to show, like, dude just getting... On more than one occasion, a guy just getting hammers in the dick. That, that's what uncensored actually means. That's, like, that's what MAPPA was talking about. They're not, they're not like, you're going to see the titties. It's like, no. When we get to the part where Machima has a bag of eyeballs... We're going to show you the eyeballs. And... What that means... For this show... In the space that it is in... Which is anime... Which means that it at some point aired on Japanese television... It just stands apart from the pack... Because it's the one... Um... It's the uncensored H manga, essentially, in the sea of censor bars. But in a way that nobody was expecting. So I think it caught people off guard because I'm sure people are like, this isn't uncensored. This is just like American television. This is like shit you can watch on HBO. But you forget HBO isn't television. You, couldn't, you probably couldn't see this on cable. You probably couldn't see this on a non-streaming channel. We're all so used to the gloves being off because of things like Netflix, because of, like, all the stuff. That, all the streaming networks that now no longer have to play by the, by the public access television rules. That you forget that, like, the reason Game of Thrones was on HBO wasn't necessarily the sex wasn't necessarily just the sex, it was the sex and the violence. Um, what's his face? Um, Matthew Weiner, the creator of um, Mad Men, had a really great uh line that he mentioned when he was talking about shopping Mad Men around different networks. He originally hoped that HBO would pick it up, but he ended up being happy, really happy with AMC because they gave him everything they needed, it was really successful, but also. He had the constraints of having to go on cable. Not basic cable, but cable. Which means that where normally he would have just shown a sex scene, he can't show a sex scene. He has to show. So what he ended up saying is like, in the show, the sex scene doesn't matter. It's the before and after of that act, that matter, And oftentimes that's true in any show, but in Mad Men it's focused on more because functionally you cannot have the sex scene because it's not on HBO. In Chainsaw Man you feel the violence because they're showing it to you. They can show it to you. They... when Makima brings the bag of eyeballs of the like wives, lovers and friends to the Yakuza meeting, there's a purpose there. You you're supposed to like feel the bone chilling reality that like Makima is the danger and has always been the danger. You're supposed to, like, see it and it's supposed to make you feel uncomfortable. In the same way that I talked about in my um last Thursday edition um in Vermil and Gold. Like, the relationship between Vermil and Alto, it's supposed to make you feel uncomfortable, but it's prepping you for something else. And, once again, I'm not going to talk about the end of the of the first part of Chainsaw Man, but, rest assured, that uncomfy feeling that, like, you get from Machima is prepping you for something else. Um so I just I I had the opportunity I'm on, like I'm off from work until next year so I wanted to like record something pertinent about this because it's like it's the biggest show this year it's at the top of the um, Crunchyroll charts and blah 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 so I wanted to do an episode about the show about the show pretty soon after it ended and it ended on Tuesday. So I'm talking about the season today. I will say because the last thing I'll say about this show is I haven't kept up with the um, manga. So I'm so at the end of this, I'm flying blind essentially. Um, At the end of the next season, I'll be flying blind, but which is really exciting to me but I wonder how Toshiki Fujimoto will deal with or is dealing with I could go read the manga actually the fact that like he stopped the story that like he got ri- that like it, that part the first part ended and the second part continues because and this is true of actually Black Lagoon and I was thinking about this in relationship to to Black Lagoon because of this, because of an interview the the author of Black Lagoon gave. The author of Black Lagoon has told this story about violence in everything up to um, Roberta's blood trail. And he, he... And now he has this whole little universe he's created. He's made himself a world full of characters and moving parts he can use. Well, now he only has to add a couple characters to make the entire thing move again. But he doesn't know really what he wants to move towards or for. So he's just kind of trying things on constantly. And that's why, if you've been reading Black Lagoon it's like slowed to a crawl in terms of releases because he doesn't know what he wants to do with it yet. He hasn't found the big thing he wants to do with these characters. So he's just kind of telling different little vignettes with them. And that's fine. It's it's actually really interesting because you see aspects of like the setting of Rowena Potter that you haven't seen before you see aspects of the characters you haven't seen before or, or that only ever been alluded to like you finally in um, the arc after a bird's blood trail you see a dominatrix show where Revy is the dominatrix and you're like oh they weren't kidding about her being like a really good dominatrix and the and you get to see the character's relationships develop more on top of that. but i've and I wonder what Tatsuki Fujimoto has in his head for what he wants to do with this millennial existing in this really fucked up apathetic. World, because apathetic and many times cruel world, because he he ends the first part of it, and then the next part seems like it's gonna do something similar but different, and I'm just in the same way that a new arc of Hunter x Hunter brings a new different thing every time i'd be interested to see what this show's creator tachiki fujimoto has in store for the next part on that note if you like this episode new episodes of the podcast come out every thursday and every other sunday Thursday is like this. It's about a show or a property. Sunday is more metatextual. It's about the industry. It's about art. It's about media. It's about fandom. It's about animation sometimes. And on that note, I've been Alex. And this has been Lunchbox Radio. And I will talk to you later.